When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Spark London. We tell true stories. We tell them live. And we tell them all across London. This story was told by Tim Allsop in July 2009. A few statistics for you. Three out of ten children are obese. 238,000 people die of heart disease. One in 13 men will get cancer. Now, I reckon when you add all these statistics together with all the other diseases, the number of completely healthy people living in the United Kingdom is somewhere around seven. The truth is I'm obsessed with illness. I have ulcerative colitis, which means I get ulcers in my bowel. It's pretty painful and not that easy to treat. There are times when I wish I could stick a whole tube of Bongella up my ass. Sickness has always plagued my family. Our family name is Allsop, but my sister nicknamed us the Illsops. She used to sing it to the theme tune of The Simpsons. <laughs> Our family medical history reads as follows. My grandfather died at 51 from bladder cancer, and my mother was dead at 46 from multiple sclerosis. At this rate, I might make 40 if I'm lucky. Now, I know this all makes me sound a little pessimistic, but I am not actually going to talk about my illness this evening. Instead, I want to tell you about two memories involving my mother, because I think the interaction between these two episodes has proved something of a salvation for my obsession. The first memory is before she got ill. I was ten years old. I'd been out playing with my friends on my BMX. When I got back home, I climbed to sit in the branches of an apple tree which sat at the bottom of our garden. It was a great place to sit because the trunk split into three branches, two of which curved up to make a sort of seat. I could see half the village from there. I could also see into my house. And as I sat there that afternoon, I saw my dad pushing my mum down to the floor. Well, I jumped down from the tree and ran into the house. There was a scuffling noise in the living room. I opened the door and there was no one there. Then I heard something shuffling about on the carpet behind the sofa. I went over to have a look and found my mum lying stark naked, her fingers fumbling through the carpet as if she was checking for head lice. She smiled at me and said she'd put her back out. She didn't look in much pain to me. I went to the kitchen to find my dad stirring a tin of Heinz tomato soup, wearing a pair of only, only wearing a pair of underpants. I was too young to understand that they'd been having a bit of nookie, but they both looked cheerful enough, so I didn't think anything more about it. The second time I was a few years older. It was Christmas, and I'd stayed on late at school to help out with an end-of-term concert. I came home in desperate need of a cup of tea and some bottle on toast. My dad had gone out to take some rubbish to the dump. I said hello to my mum, who was sitting in her special chair. She was watching one of our Disney tapes. 
The tape had been played so many times that the sound kept falling out of sequence with the picture. We used to buy new films, but she liked to watch the same few over and over. I went straight through to the kitchen and put the kettle on and dropped some bread into the toaster. I went back through to the living room and asked Mum if she'd like a cup of coffee. She nodded and said something, but I didn't hear her, because that's when I saw it. It was sitting next to her leg. I thought it was a chocolate bar for a minute, but then it didn't have the submissive coy look of chocolate. It was sitting there all proud and brainless, a small lump of poo. I ran through to the kitchen. The toast popped up and made me jump. I went through the motions of pouring milk into a saucepan and pulling out Mum's special cup with a lid. I stared at the milk and wondered how I was going to get rid of the accident. There was no way I was going to mention it. I was having trouble enough just thinking about it. Well, I thought I could leave it there and let Dad deal with it when he got back. He was always good with things like that. He'd call her a silly pup and kiss her on the neck, because that's what he always did when he came home. I went back through and put the coffee down. Then I, thro- then I froze. The poo had vanished. I stared at the spot where it had been only a moment earlier. Well, there wasn't even a trace of it. I scanned every bit of the chair, thinking somehow the poo had camouflaged itself. But it was nowhere. Mum turned her head to me, nodding involuntary like the Churchill dog. I need to take the ironing through, she said. This was something she always used to say, even though Dad was the one who put the ironing in the cupboard. It was at the top of the stairs, you see, and Mum wasn't allowed to go upstairs anymore. I'll do it in a minute. Do you want to read one of your books, I asked. Go on, then. I felt relieved that she'd given me an excuse to look around. I peered through the limbs of the trolley at my mother's legs. They almost blended into one another. The pale calf muscles flopped sad and sullen against her bone and reminded me of raw chicken. I opened the book and placed it on the angled wooden board my dad had made so Mum could keep her book steady as she read. Is the washing dry, she asked. Well, I'll go and bring it in. Well, I was only outside for two or three minutes, but when I came back it was quiet. There were not the usual sniffs and coughs that were part of my mother's constant repertoire of noise. I pulled the kitchen door wide and peered round at the chair. It was empty. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see the hallway door wide open. Panic smacked me in the stomach. I think that was the beginning of my colitis. Mother was on the move, no doubt attempting to climb the stairs. My head was reeling with the horror of those grisly memories. The memory of of her being forced to stop driving. The slurring of speech which made people think she was drunk rather than ill. The day her mobility scooter broke down halfway halfway home from the library and of her falling whilst hanging out the washing and breaking her hand whilst I'd been having a wank. Those grim fragments of the past lived and breathed as they did most days. With a sense of doom pulling at me, I moved to the door, shouting, Mum! There was no answer as I swung round to face the stairs. They were empty, just a steep path of fluffy carpeted steps. They grew grew up in front of me like a hairy middle finger, as if to say I fucked it up. I slid open the door of the downstairs bedroom. It had the dank clinical smell, the combination of catheters and cleaning fluid. I looked down at the floor. There was something moving behind the bed. It was a hand. I jumped onto the bed. Mum, are you all right? Hmm, she said, as if there was nothing wrong at all. What are you doing? I'm going to the bloody toilet, aren't I? Well, why didn't you wait till I was here? Well, I can't wait, she shouted. Her shaking was more visible now that her body was outlined against the carpet. It was as if the illness was laughing through her, making her the giddy mouthpiece of its jokes. I went to lift her, but I knew I wasn't going to be strong enough. My body sort of gave up before I could even try. I told her to push against me. Well, she didn't. She couldn't. It was one of those things we asked in the hope that somehow she'd suddenly be able to do it. I went to take her in my arms, but that's when I saw it and understood. She was holding the poo. My mum had tried to get it there herself to flush it away. I went to take it from her, but she pulled away. Neither of us said a thing. And then I heard the sound of the door handle being turned. My dad was home. 
Mum dropped the poo and it landed on the carpet. I reached over to a box of tissues on the bedside table, picked it up and went through to the downstairs toilet. What are you doing down there? My father's voice was gentle in mock chastisement. I came straight back into the bedroom before she could say anything. Well, I was trying to get her to the toilet, I said. My dad lifted her onto the bed. Well, why didn't you take her in the bloody chair? Sorry, it was my fault. I, was, I tried to help her walk there, didn't I, Mum? Hmm, my mum mumbled. All right, go on with you. I went out and sat on the stairs and listened to their muffled voices. And then I needed the toilet myself. It upset me to hear my wee tinkling against the ceramic bowl. How quick and easy and banal the sound of it, of it was as it hit the pan. When I'd done, I went and slumped on the armchair in our study and sat and stared out the window at the apple tree. It appeared the same as it always did in winter, an arthritic joint, its branches bare and sharp and shaking in the wind. How old it looked. I suppose that was the moment I started to grieve for her, or grieve for those lost days, like the time when I'd walked in on her and Dad having sex. It helps me to remember those silly moments when everyone was well and enjoying life. But equally, I try not to deny the difficult memories. These two memories together have moved my grief into a new place where I'm trying to be proactive, I'm currently in the process of setting up a young carers group to try and give isolated youngsters a way to meet other carers and access support. I hope by talking about this I'm helping break a very British stigma about what it's like to deal with illness. The truth is, we all shit, we all get ill, and we all die. And we shouldn't feel embarrassed about talking about that. For more stories, head to sparklondon.com Spark London is produced by... Joanna Yates with audio production by Matt Hill at rethinkdaily.co.uk Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.